everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, how's the wind? How's, how's my hair looking okay? Your hair looks great. Okay. Uh, check out this podium. Someone last week saw the, the movie. I don't know. If you remember, like, first three rows, last week you saw, like, I put the Bible on, and it was, like, lean, you know? And, and someone in the service was just either really bored or annoyed, and they got on Amazon in real service, and they ordered a podium, and it arrived at our door two days ago, and I put it together. And then Cole, our son, he created a sign, which is really cool. He said, Dad's preaching pulpit. And uh, another one said, Dad's teaching the Bible at Friends Eastall. So super cool moment for us as a family, which is really rad. So um, if you have your Bibles, again, Luke 14 is the passage we're in today. And I'm really excited because we start a new series today, a new teaching series called Kingdom Culture. And it's going to be an eight-week series through the parables of Jesus. Uh, the parables uh, are some of the most uh, profound teachings that Jesus uh, used in his ministry. In fact, I think Jesus is probably the greatest teacher to ever live, um, and one of his uh, tactics for communicating was a parable. Uh, a parable is a short story that communicates a truth about God and himself, uh, Jesus, and us uh, that contrasts something to something that it's not. It's always in contrast to something else. And in Jesus' parable specifically, there are three parts. There is a, uh, a story part, which is not fictional. Uh, and then there's a reality part, which relates to our life. And then there is a, uh, a basic point that Jesus makes at the end. And the parables stick with us because of those basic points. They, they tend to tackle something in our life that our culture or our society or um, our, our lives just don't align with. And so they contrast something about Jesus and his kingdom that's different than our own. So we think about parables like the Good Samaritan, which we're going to talk about a month from now. Uh, parables like uh, like the unforgiving servant, which we'll talk about next week. And so these parables, they stick with us uh, in a profound way, even as we're done reading the passage, they kind of linger in our minds. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about the great banquet which Matt just read about. And every week in the series, I will couch the basic point of the parable with the phrase, the power of, the power of. And so this week is the power of an invitation, a power, the power of the invitation. Uh, next week will be the power of forgiveness, and then on Mother's Day will be the power of prayer, and so forth, and so forth. So uh, again, if you have your Bibles, Luke 14, and we'll begin breaking this passage down, and uh, the power of the invitation. Verse 12, Jesus is at a banquet. Uh, he's at a feast. He's at a party. And Jesus says uh, in verse 12, uh, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, then they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet or a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, uh, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We open up the passage in the story. And Jesus, again, is at a parable or at a, a, a party, a banquet, and uh, he's invited by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and the, the guests who are there are ordered by most important to least important. And the most important people are at the head of the table, and the least important are at the back of the table. It's kind of like, you know, kids' table and adult table at Christmas, if you will, you know. Um, and then there are those who are not invited at all. And Jesus makes a point that kind of creates some awkwardness in the, the room. He says in verse 13, he says, hey, when you throw a party, 
don't invite those who can reciprocate and repay you, essentially. That's what he says in verse 13. And of course, everyone feels the guilt because they're guilty of back in the room. And they look around, and it's awkward. And it's, I'm sure someone whispers, who invited this guy, Jesus? Everywhere he goes, he creates a, you know, a problem. Um, and somebody in verse 15, we don't know who it is, but in verse 15, some random person who feels the awkwardness tries to relieve the tension in the room. You ever been to a party like that where something gets said kind of awkwardly and someone's like, well, the you know, hors d'oeuvres are great, right? And they kind of change the topic. That's what verse 15 is. Some guy at the, at the party shouts out, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast in the kingdom of God. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah you're here, you know? And they go back to their time at the party. Well, once again, Jesus, as he normally does, creates uh, some tension and some disruption. And he says, uh, or verse uh, uh, 16, he picks up on this little phrase in, of the guy, uh, the phrase, who will? Uh, who will? Who will eat in the kingdom of God? And he tells a parable about who will feast in God's kingdom. That's what this parable is about. Who will feast in God's kingdom? Who will sit around with God in his kingdom? In the parable, Jesus tells a story about a banquet or a feast. And God's kingdom is likened to this feast. It's likened to this party, uh, this banquet. And God is the host. And we are the potential guests. And the plot of the parable is who will be at the banquet with God? Who's going to feast at his table with him? Will it be, uh, you know, the important people, the influencers? Will it be the educated, the wealthy? Will it be those who can reciprocate the invitation? Who is actually going to be with God in his kingdom? And uh, Jesus launches into the parable in verse 16. He says this, uh, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. In the parable, uh, the host of the banquet invites a bunch of people to come and enjoy. And to really make sense of this parable, we have to also understand how banquets were done in Jesus' day. Uh, in the first century, there were two invitations to a banquet. Uh, the first invitation went out to a bunch of guests to see if they would actually show up or not. And we see that in verse 16. It says that the, the, the man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. This is kind of how um, our modern-day weddings go, right? A couple is going to get married. They send out invitations, and you say, I accept. I want the steak, not the chicken, all right? Um, I don't want the salmon. I want the steak. It goes back to the, uh, the couple, and then they, of course, give it to the catering company, and they prepare the food. That was how it was in their day as well. They had sent out invitations. They figured out who was going to come, and then the host of the banquet would know how many animals to prepare, to feed all of those guests. That was just how it was uh, accomplished. But then there was a second invitation, which was unique to their day and not our own. And the second invitation went out um, because food spoiled really quickly in their day and age. And so uh, when the food was prepared, all the people that agreed to the first invitation would receive a second invitation. They would send out a worker and they would go to their homes and they'd say, okay, the food's ready. It's hot, it's ready, it's, it's prepared, come on over. And then the guests would come on over and eat the food. We see this in verse 17. It says this, At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. So now it's the second invitation. He sends out the workers to say, come on over. It's time to eat. And this is where the um, parable gets very interesting. 
because people who had agreed to come to the uh, banquet on the first invitation, they had you know, accepted the, uh, the offer originally, all of a sudden opt out of the banquet at the last minute. And in that day and age, just like our day and age, if you agree to go to a wedding because it's expensive and you opt out last minute, it creates some trouble. And so we read about these excuses in verses 16 through 20. Here's what it says. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought a, uh, five uh, oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I love that last one. I don't know why. Krista said the wife said you can't go. That's what, that's what uh, she told me. Um, all the married couples know the tension, right? Um, so these excuses are not very good, but they are actually legitimate. In the Old Testament, these are the only three excuses you can make to get out of the draft and not go to fight in battle if you're Israelite. And so these three guests at the last minute opt out of going to the party by using these excuses. And of course, if you're throwing this party, you're pretty mad. Because this party would have cost, at this time uh, uh, in culture, uh, probably a month or two months worth of your income. So think about what that would be for you. That's what you're spending on this banquet. And so you'd be pretty mad. And in order to not let the food go to waste, you would want that to be eaten, and so you would invite other people. So that's what the host does. He goes and he tells his workers, hey, go out and invite as many people as you can. Uh, verse 21 and 23, we find out the two groups of people that get invited to the banquet. Verse 21, the end, it says this, go out to the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These are the marginalized in their culture. And then verse 23, he says, go out to the roads, and the country lanes and compel them to come in. In Jesus' day, um, if you were invited to a party and then you said yes, it was a social obligation to reciprocate and throw your own party of equal kind of value, equal appearance, and invite everybody else who had invited you and the other guests. And so people who are on the margin of society, those who are poor or possibly had a physical disability, would not invite uh, or would not agree to going to parties because they would use all of their wealth, all of their life savings on a single banquet. And so they would decline the invitation and avoid having the obligation socially. And then, of course, verse 23, those who are um, invited on the roads and on the highways are people outside of the city. And these people represent people who were total strangers. Uh, they're non-Jewish people uh, in Jesus' day. They kind of hung out with their own ethnicity, Jewish people hung out with Jews. And so they were going to invite people who were Gentiles. That would be most of us in this room. And that was a very big deal. And then lastly, it represented people who were criminals, people who had committed such heinous crimes they had been excommunicated from their community. And um, so you didn't know what you were going to get. It would be equivalent to going to the prison and picking up a, or a hitchhiker and saying to them, hey, I don't know you. But you can go and uh, serve in our kids' ministry. And uh, afterwards, it was a party for five-year-olds. You can hang out at their, their party and just hang out and do everything. So there's a risk to it all, right? And, uh, of course, this reveals the intention of the host. All the host wants, verse 24, or verse 23, is so that my house will be full. The host wants people in the party because the party is only as good as the people actually showing up, right? 
There's one final thing to note in the passage, and that is in verse 21 and 23. The description of the invitation to the other guests is to bring them in and to compel them. And this is important because the workers who would go out to invite these guests had to convince them, look, the host just wants the party full. You do not need to reciprocate the invitation. You don't need to repay it. It's, it's free. This is a sign of grace, right? Just come on in. Enjoy the steak. It's going to be good. The party's going to be uh, ha- happening. Uh, music's going to be awesome. And have a great time on us. And that's when the passage ends. And Jesus uh, finishes up in verse 24. He says, I tell you, not one of those of the original invited guests will get to taste my banquet. So, what does this parable mean? What's the basic point? What's Jesus trying to say? Remember, Jesus' parables are often contrasting something about God's kingdom and who God is with a part of the culture that opposes it or goes against it in some way. And what we learn about this parable about God and his kingdom is this, that God invites all, but only welcomes those who give him their allegiance. I think we have a slide that will pull that point up here. There we go. God invites all, but only welcomes those who give him their allegiance or their loyalty to God. Um, Jesus told this parable to answer the question, who will feast with God in his kingdom? And the parable tells us, anyone who is willing to is invited, as long as they give God their loyalty when they show up. In the parable, the Pharisees only invite specific people. They invite people that are, it's conditional. They invite people who are Jewish, who have good moral standing, and are people who could possibly repay the invitation to the party. And the problem in Jesus' day is that they thought that if you were uh, of the same ethnicity, if you were in good moral standing, and if you had something to offer, then you would probably sit around the kingdom with God. You were, you were accepted by God. But Jesus makes it clear that God invites anyone. He invites anyone, irrespective of ethnicity, moral standing, and what they offer to come in his kingdom. And this guarantees that his kingdom is founded on his unconditional love and grace. Anyone is invited to make Jesus their savior, right? That's what he's trying to say here. And so uh, at the same time, though, the people who are actually welcomed, are uh, uh, the people who are welcomed into the feast are those who actually commit themselves to going to the feast. They're the ones who commit themselves to the host and show loyalty and allegiance to actually showing up. Those who make excuses do not get to go, and they don't show any loyalty at all. And so God and his gracious invitation is not something to be abused. His grace isn't something to take for granted. His uh, love and his invitation isn't something that we are to make excuses over and just to say, oh, it'll be there, I'm fine. The parable undermines the assumption that we have to get cleaned up uh, for us to come to God, and at the same time protects us against abusing God's grace and unconditional love, and asks us to commit to Him and show loyalty to God. The invitation that God makes to each one of us is to come just as we are, to feast and enjoy Him, to enjoy His presence. God invites everyone. The only condition is give Him your loyalty. Now, in 2016, I was invited to London. I know a few of you know this story, parts of it anyway. And I was invited to London uh, to go learn about uh, how to run the Alpha course, which we were talking about a moment ago. And uh, you've heard over the last month, we launched on Tuesday night. 
And it's, it's designed to have a, a table setting, a conversation with people about faith and life and God. And the goal of it is to help people take their next step in faith, wherever they're at, wherever you're at in your spiritual spectrum. If you're mature, the goal is find your next step. If you're brand new to this whole thing and you have questions, it's find your next step. It's just take the next move in your faith for Jesus. That's the goal of the course. So there I am learning about Alpha in London. And we were invited to have dinner with the number one New Testament scholar in the world. His name is Dr. N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright. And we got to spend eight hours with Dr. Wright, which some people would have spent thousands for like his time, you know. Um, and there was 14 of us on the trip. And around that 14, that circle of 14, were some of the most um, influential, successful, if you want to call it that, uh, Christian leaders in our country today. There were authors, uh, a guy named John Mark Comer, who's a popular author right now, uh, and speaker was there. Uh, pastors of large churches were there. Uh, people who created conferences where people's lives had been changed were there. And then there was me, <laughs> the lowly campus pastor, hanging out. I had no reason why I was there. It was only because um, I had been invited. I didn't actually bring any genuine status to the meeting. I'm actually pretty sure that um, a few guys that were there gave me a few looks like, hey, this guy. <laughs> you know? You ever been at a party like that? Like, I don't know. I'm not offering a whole lot. The only reason why I was actually there was because I got invited. I committed by purchasing a ticket, and I showed up. It wasn't because I had any status to offer to the group of 14 people. You are welcome at the table with Jesus. God invites you in. You're welcome. Not because of what you bring, not because of having everything cleaned up. You're welcome because it's in His unconditional love to welcome you. And the only commitment you have to make is loyalty to the host, which is Jesus. That's it. Um, this parable teaches us the power of the invitation, that you're invited in. And this is absolutely countercultural if you think about it. We live in a culture today where your past oftentimes follows you. That if you fail one time, like you're a failure forever, right? If you say something on social media in today's culture, oh my word, it, like it tracks with you forever. Like there's no grace in our culture, right? Um, we also live in a culture of instrumentality where you're viewed based on what you can do for other people. You and I are often viewed by what do they bring to us? What do they bring to this relationship? And that's really how like toxic uh, social media works. Right? Like, if I post this and I get a lot of likes and videos, that means I bring value to people's life. And if I post something that doesn't get a lot of likes and comments, well, what is that? I don't bring a lot of value to people. And that's the subtle lie of social media, right? But to Jesus, his invitation, his party, his relationship, his kingdom feast is invitational irregardless of your past, what you've done, what you wish you would have done, it's irregardless of your current present. If Jesus only allowed pastors to have a clean past, this pastor would not be allowed to be up here. And thank God, that's true. Um, and I'm still thankful that God also doesn't invite us to his table based on what we do. I'm also thankful that by God's grace, he's invited me into a relationship with him, but I'm better than I was. 
He changes us. He matures us by his grace and his truth and relationship with him. That we're not asked to clean up before we arrive. We worship a God who values you because you're made in his image. We worship a God who values you because it's in his nature to love. Our God is not impressed because of us having a title of CEO any more than the title of janitor. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. All he cares about is, I love you, you're made in my image, I invite you to the table. And when we do, we find that his grace and his love and his truth begins to change us from the inside out. Now that's why we at Friends Church value every human life from conception in the womb all the way to when someone takes their last breath in the tomb. Think about those implications. That's why we value every person, whether they've been unborn yet or when they can't offer anything at the very end of their life. Because we have a God who values every human life. And so do we. Now, um, everyone's invited, and so long as we show Jesus our loyalty to him. That's what the, that's what's at stake. Um, this is why we do the Alpha Course, like I said before. Uh, we extend that invitation of Jesus to the table to anybody who has any questions. We invite it. Uh, no, not, we don't worry about where they're at. We just say, come. Come and enjoy. And I've had um, the joy of running 22 Alpha Courses at this point. I, my goal is 100. I want to get to 100. And every time I've ran the course, I meet people who have felt disconnected from the church. I'm sure many of you have friends, young people, uh, you know, young adults who've left the church, uh, who've been disconnected. Every time we run Alpha, I meet people who say, this was my lifeline back to walking with Jesus because of the invitation and the hospitality. The early church, you know how they grew? They grew because of the radical hospitality they had around the table, around a meal. And they invited people on the margins of society who were not valuable to the Roman Empire, and they grew because they were invited in to the table with Jesus. So Jesus loves to hang out with sinners, so you can hang out with us. And as they hung out with these people, they encountered God's grace and truth, and their lives were different. Now, now maybe you're feeling some tension, and that's good. Maybe you're feeling tension that this possibly could be interpreted as Christian universalism, or possibly this passage could be interpreted as some kind of secular uh, tolerance or pluralism, and let me reassure you that it is not. The invitation is to all, but you actually have to accept it. There is a commitment and a cost to showing up. There's a commitment to finding the way of Jesus, to following him. You have to show loyalty to actually arriving at the table to learn from him. Uh, when you interpret parables, so if you ever read parables on your own, you always look for what gets the most space and time. And in our passage, what gets the most space are the excuses of these three people. And what that tells us is that anyone can accept the invitation, but you have to be willing to leave behind something to go to Jesus. And that may mean some tough things. Um, sometimes saying yes to Jesus means breaking up with a choice. Sometimes it means breaking up with a habit. Sometimes it means breaking up with a person. Sometimes it means protecting your sexual purity before marriage and your purity in marriage. It has cost to it so that we can actually follow Jesus. That's the invitation. You can come, but there's a need for loyalty to arrive to Jesus. So how do we actually um, apply this to our life? So I got three, three things. Here it is. Um, find people to party with in God's kingdom. 
Come on, amen. Kim knows. So a party's a party only because there's people there. And you want to find people to party with in God's kingdom. I was going to say, I was going to call this point, you got to fight for your right to party. Um, I couldn't quite fit it in. I just couldn't, like, make the jump. I couldn't. So find people to party with in God's kingdom. Um, we have to reimagine what it means for us to do relationship in God's kingdom. And I really mean that word, reimagine, because we have these phones that have changed how we make sense of connection. You see, the vision for how we connect with people has been changed. We connect with the device, but in the process, we've started to get confused about God's vision for the church being a place where we connect with each other. And we learn how to do that well. Um, and so the question is, do you have people in your life of spiritual significance? People that know you, that love you, that you can care for, that help you be loyal to Jesus, that help you be loyal to Jesus. Do you have people, find people to party with in God's kingdom? And the goal is help each other be loyal to following Jesus today and reimagine what connection looks like. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Uh, one of the best stories happening in our church right now is our very first life group being led by Brett and Aaron Riley. And every Tuesday, I, I find out, you know, how they're doing. And they texted me last week. I said, what's going on in the group? And this is what they said. They said, we are becoming a very transparent and vulnerable group. It's really easy. It's really fun to talk to each other. We get to hang out a long time. We actually got home at 11 o'clock last night. Wow. Now, that's going above and beyond, you know. Um, just so you know, when we launch life groups, you're not staying until 11 o'clock. It's not a requirement, but they have so that's what happens when you reimagine the Christian faith being around a table with people about what it means to stay loyal to Jesus. You begin to find yourself having these deep human connections. You go, wow, this is way better than just scrolling, you know, dead scrolling, I think is the new phrase, through whatever is happening on, the, on your phone. Number two. So find people to party with in God's kingdom. Number two, invite people to party with in God's kingdom. Invite people to party with in God's kingdom. This parable teaches us that some people you would never think about coming to Jesus will actually come to Christ if you invite them in. This is what I call the Hail Mary invitation. Like, they're not going to catch it. They're not. They caught it. You know, like, it's amazing, right? It's like, invite people in, and it reminds us that there are people out there who would say yes if they get invited in. Uh, May 23rd is Pentecost Sunday, where we uh, love to celebrate the birth of the church, but it's also considered International Day of the Unreached. Um, did you know that one-third of our world today still has never heard of Christ? And most of those people live in persecuted countries, but some of them live in your neighborhood. Some of them are in your family. Some of them are in your workplaces. John 1.42 says this, the uh, disciple Andrew uh, brought his brother Peter to Jesus. That's the, that's the verse. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus. Now, we can't all be Peters, right? The apostle Peter was amazing, but we can all be Andrews, and we can invite people in. We can all do that. So 1934, a guy by the name of Albert McNakin got excited about Jesus. He got saved, and he wanted all his other young adult friends to come to Christ, so he invited them 
to hear this traveling evangelist come and speak. And this is like in the woods somewhere. And so the way that he got them to go to church was he bought a dairy truck. He put them on the back of the dairy truck. And he drove them down the, down the little road to hear Jesus from this preacher. And uh, there was one guy who said no. He didn't want anything to do with, the, with, with Jesus and God and the church. And so he kept on turning down invitations. He was the best-looking kid in town. He had multiple um, uh, girlfriends, apparently, and he had an aspiration to play professional baseball. This guy was a stud. And so the guy, um, Albert McMakin, made a deal with him. He said, hey, if you uh, go to one service, you can drive my dairy truck. Uh, I guess that must be like a Tesla back in 1934. You know? So the guy said yes. He shows up to the tent meeting, hears about Jesus, and he comes to Christ. And that 24-year-old young man was Billy Graham. Billy Graham. And he went back home that night, and he said to his mom, Mother, I'm a changed boy. <laughs> Friends, there are, um, there are Billy Grahams out there. There are Billy Grahams. Potential Billy, Billy Grahams. Right across your street. Right in the coffee shop. Right in your family. And uh, I'm so thankful that Albert Macon got the dairy truck. He compelled people to come in. He compelled Billy to come in. And we want to be a church that welcomes people and doesn't give up on people. And say, come on, hear about Jesus. There's a party. Get the feast of Jesus. That's the best kind of party. Again, not all of us can be Billy Grahams. But all of us can be Albert McMakins. You can be an Albert McMakin and find your dairy truck and invite somebody in. Are there costs? Yes. Is it messy? Absolutely. But is it worth it? I, I guarantee you, I've been to a Billy Graham crusade. Uh, it was worth it. How many of you are here today because someone invited you here? Whether it was me or it was somebody else. Just raise your hand. You're here because someone raised my up high? Okay. It's like 50% of our room. That's amazing. The power of the invitation. And then finally, uh, last point. So find, uh, find people to, to party with, invite people to party with. The last one is fight and wage war on any excuse to be loyal to Jesus. Fight and wage war on any excuse to wage war, uh, uh, to be loyal to Jesus. In the parable, the first guests are invited, and they miss the feast because they make excuses. And this should cause us, friends, it should cause us to see any excuse we make from being loyal to Jesus as an enemy to the spiritual health of our souls. And we should wage war on any excuse that exists that gets in the way of being loyal to Jesus. You have permission to wage war on any excuse that gets in the way of you and Jesus. When I was a boy, I grew up on a, on a ranch up in Santa Barbara. And um, uh, when I would go into horse pens, I would touch the fences to get over and I would get splinters in my fingers. And I would go to my mom and say, I got a splinter. And she would take a needle, and they haven't figured out a better way of getting out splinters. They really should. Someone will make money. And they would, she would dig in. You know what I'm talking about? Like, really get in there. And she started digging. Some of us are feeling it. I'm like, oh. And I would say uh, to my mom, Mom, it's okay. There's only a little bit left. And I would say, like, I'd make an excuse up. I would say, um, my, my body will absorb the little wood part. It's okay. It's okay. Anyone ever said that? Like, no, no, my, the blood will absorb it. It's fine. It's all, all good. You know, I make all these excuses to not get hurt and keep digging the splinter out of my hand. 
Some of us in this room, all of us in this room, have spiritual splinters that Jesus is trying to remove. And it's really easy to make excuses and say, no, I don't want you to dig there. So over the past couple of years, God has been removing some splinters from my life. He's been removing shame from my life. Uh, the last couple of years, uh, God's been removing me finding my value, my worth, and my pastoral achievements and, and performance. Uh, and that journey has taken me to reimagine what it means for me to confess sin to my accountability partners. It's taken me to reimagine um, visiting a Christian counselor. It's taken me to reimagine Chris and I sitting at the dinner table when the kids are down, talking more vulnerably about our life. It's taken me saying no to really good opportunities in ministry to say yes so that I could be a part of planting this church. And every time there's been a little digging in to remove some of those splinters, I have found myself feeling that there's an excuse waiting. I don't want to call my accountability guys because um, I don't want to feel lame. Um, I don't want to invest in a Christian counselor because it's expensive. I don't want to have to change my plans because I don't want to disappoint people. And so forth, and so forth, and so forth. Friends, I don't want us to be a church that misses the feast with Jesus. I don't want you to miss the feast with Jesus because there's excuses and Jesus is digging and we just don't want to let him get whatever the spiritual splintered out, out of our hands and feet and souls are, right? Um, and then, so identify and wage war on any excuse that gets in the way of your loyalty to Jesus. Um, when I was in London, you have to understand how I got there for that meeting. It was because of our lead pastor, Matthew Court. He put a little sticky note on my desk and said, hey, um, you want to go? And just so you know, I hate international travel. I don't like it. So uh, and he had a little pamphlet about Alpha on the side there. And I went back to his office and said, no, here, here are my excuses. Number one, I said, I don't like international travel. It's too hard on me. Number two, I said, this program looks lame. And then number three, I said, I have two kids at home. And, and so that third one was a good excuse. The first two were not. And he accepted my excuses. Like, okay, cool. Two months later, he came back and said, hey, there's two more pastors going on the trip with us. Uh, a guy named Ron and Scott, who you know Ron and Scott. And, and he said, can you go? And he compelled me to go. And I said, okay, I'll go. And uh, many of you know that trip changed my life. Changed the trajectory of my understanding of my Christian faith and my work as a pastor. And I'm so glad because um, the Alpha program has helped me be a part of people's lives. And if I hadn't said yes to that opportunity, God would have raised somebody else up and would have used them to lead people to Jesus. I've seen people come to Christ through the program left and right. Somebody else would have got that blessing, but I got it because I said yes. And I didn't let those excuses get in the way of coming to the table with Jesus. Two years ago, Matthew came to Kristen and I two years, June of 2020, he said, hey, you should plant a church in the Inland Empire. And you know, I said, no, I had excuses. But no. And then as we started to step into the story of what we told God has been writing here, it was apparent that if we said no, somebody else would. And I'm so glad because it's been a blessing for us to be a part of 
this community, but as part of your life. We're still learning. Like, this is all new for me. Last week, all Sunday, it's all the first time I've ever preached the resurrection before. <laughs> so I'm still learning how to do it. But if if we miss out on the opportunity that Jesus is giving us, that's what we don't want. We just want to step into what you Um The table has always been connected to the Lord's Supper, right? To communion. And this morning, we're going to take communion. And if you have, don't have one, um, you, can, you can just raise your hand. Somebody will get it to you. Uh, last week, we celebrated the resurrection, celebrated the cross. The reason why there's grace, the reason why Jesus invites you to the table is because he gave his life for it. There is a cost. The commitment on our end, but the cost was his life for me and for you. And uh, so if you want to uh, pull the, the, the bottom off of the bread, we'll come down.